Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insight. Thanks, sponsors. Top Spinini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Second part of my conversation with Mike Obert and Alice Oswasinski. Mike is my friend and former colleague who was more of a sports fan than a collector, although he's certainly encouraging his sons to collect. And Alex, who is a very serious collector with a very sharp focus and has accumulated some fabulous stuff. We were together for probably an hour and a half having lunch and just visiting and show and tell stuff. Then I broke it up into some bite-sized chunks to keep it under 15 minutes. Thanks, Alex, for sharing your passion and your hobby focus, and Mike for bringing Alex over and now have a new friend, and Mike is doing great in his own business. Enjoyable lunch, enjoyable conversation, and here it is, second part. I have an 11-year-old now. His name is Rook. My oldest son's name is Cy. Yeah, so Rook is getting into sports cards. So he'll go into our sports card shop, and he's got no plan. He walks in and he's, oh, I like that card, I like that card. I'm like, look, your name's Rook, Rookie. Let's go after rookie cards. That's your plan. Like you need to go find rookie of the year cards, and decide the same thing. Let's go find Cy Young winners and get those cards just to give them a plan. Otherwise, he's just walking around going just like you said. That guy scored two touchdowns. I want his card today, and then that guy will never do anything again. <laughs> More young people do it their way than your way, Mike. People like to be free form. I think as they get older, they consolidate. It sounds like your goal is not to have a huge collection, it's to have a meaningful collection. And your sons will probably do that. Now, when I was a criminal kid, it was all Nolan Ryan and Cecil Fielder cards. It was like, if he hit a home run, the value of my cards just went up a little bit. I, I was making those connections. Talking about you kicking yourself upstairs. Yeah. Like, that's where I'm at, too. It's like, supposed to feel good, Mike. Am I having fun? <laughs> am I not having fun? What do I want to do? Like, for you... When you sold Beckett, was there like a light switch or, you know what, it's time? Or? So, not exactly, but I mean, it's a process, I think. I'm pretty yeah. deliberate. But it was time. And there's a sense of loss. It's also maybe the sense that when you have a newborn baby, you just delight in the baby. You delight when they're two and three and four and five and six and seven and eight. And you don't stop delighting when they hit 18. And they go off to college, or at 22, they go get a job, whatever. And so you don't love them less, it's just a different season of life. And yeah. so I just felt like that my baby needed to get married to somebody else. I don't know. I'm not sure what the analogy is, but I need to release and not hold it too tight. Yeah, let them go grow and do the stuff they want. And there have been some real positives with new ownerships, but not everything. I think it's challenging. I struggle with, like, how far can I take this? Have I taken as far as I can take it? And if somebody came in that had more of a background or skill set into the stuff that I do, could they 10x it because they know what to do? Well, I'm just still trying to figure it out. Did you have a number two person ever where you were able to dabble with a potential CEO taking your spot while still having control? I don't think that's my personality. I had a lot of really great people that I had a lot of confidence in. But I still enjoyed being the boss. I enjoyed being the chief vision officer, too. But I think I was at the top of my game at one point. And toward the end there, I don't think I was. It wasn't that somebody could do better. Is that maybe a new structure would allow the company to further blossom and allow me to get back some margin in my life. 
And that was really true. Mike, it's been yeah. 18 and a half years since I've sold the company. And I'm really enjoying my life. Yeah. I was over there yesterday dropping off some stuff yeah. and visiting with a couple of guys. So I like that better than sitting in my office and waiting for a problem to knock on the door. Right. You got a problem. We got something going on. But Jim, you fostered that entrepreneurial spirit within the company. If you were trying to start a new business or do something, Jim was always there to say, hey, I love starting me. I'll help you. I'll do whatever. So it was pretty cool. I was going to ask you, Mike, because you were, I don't know if you were executive vice president of sales or something when I was there. Yeah. But at some point you became, I think, the general manager or the publisher or something, because at some point, you were further promoted with the different ownership, which yeah. I fully approved. But what I think most people don't realize is that there's a difference between the author and the editor and the publisher and the sales or marketing, the CEO. What does that mean? The chief executive officer, the chief marketing officer, the controller, all those things. My sense is that you now are all those things <laughs> with your business. Uh, and yeah. most people don't even know there's a difference. You're just the boss. Right. But really, all those functions have to get done. And I'm talking about print publishing, especially. Yeah. But you got to yeah. get the ink on the paper. Right. Somebody's got to know how to deal with a printer. Right. Somebody's got to make sure there's not just meaningful editorial pages, but right. meaningful ad pages that don't take away, but add to the presentation. So you've been having fun with that. I've been having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, the, just the accountability boxes and roles that people do. But as far as the content, you can ask the people that I work with, like, just words on paper, words on paper, let's go, we gotta get it out. <laughs> they have to have good content, otherwise people aren't gonna be able to pick it up. But yeah, the whole business behind publishing and running a publishing company, it's fascinating. There's just lots of moving parts to it. And it's still a good business, but it's a volume business. Whether it's volume of readers or volume of ads, there's some numbers there you can't ignore. And we really caught a great run there for many years. Yeah. In our outsourcing company, we focus on publishing companies and we've created this publishing virtual assistant that has skills in 10 to 12 different functions of publishing. And then as a publisher, you can come in and say, I really need help with collections and receivables and getting invoices out, which is a complete different skill set than something like you were talking about, like the content and generating that content. But, but you're not AIing this, you're offshoring it. We're offshoring it, no. correct. Yeah, everything's out of the Philippines. Do yeah. you think there'll be AI to compete and with the offshore? Is, we're seeing more and more AI that's coming into place, but where we're going to fit into the puzzle is there's still going to have to be some sort of human eyes on what the AI is doing and creating. <clears throat> and so I think that's where we're going to fit in. And that's currently where we are fitting in is QA, photo editing on images. Like it's all being done AI, but they still need somebody to go through and say, that one was messed up or they didn't do the right thing on this, so they kicked those out. So. That's where I think I'm going to finish. It's like AI. editing and kind of like reviewing exceptions. I saw recently an AI generated high school football article that said high school football team beats high school football team in a high school football game. That says it all. That's why you're going to need somebody to go through and check that part of the AI. But yeah, it's ChatGPT. It's here. We see a lot of it. You're trying to expand your business, and there's lots of ways to do it. You can get new products. You can charge more. I guess you can make money by cutting costs too, but you've either got to have more products or higher price products or more customers, all those things. How's Fanatics going to increase the trading card industry by 10x? Is that a stretch goal? Every entrepreneur in your guys' group and all that would love to 10x their business without going broke trying to get there because right. sometimes it takes yeah. 
So is that just marketing sizzle? 10x seems like a lot, but I guess the thing is just intercepting existing attention. Sports being like one of the only live action real things on TV. And they can insert trading cards with celebrity influencer players at some sort of frequency. And that's going to capture people. That single thesis seems to be the only way you're getting tons of eyeballs that you wouldn't normally get. Mike, I consider you more a, a sports guy than a collector guy. Correct. Yeah. And that's how they have to do it. They have to convince Mike. I got the collecting gene, I think. So I think it's nature and nurture. Yeah. But somehow I've been a collector and hold on to things for a long time. But even in spite of working in our company for a long time, I don't think you ever became a real hardcore collector. Correct. And yet, Alex, did you just step right into it? As a kid, I just I was an only child and uh, going to my friend's houses and stuff. But other than that, I had two older parents and I would just entertain myself endlessly with cards. So I guess, was it just me feeling boredom or was I wired for it? I'm not sure. But I know that in the last five years coming back into it, it's still there and there's some mashup of nostalgia and kid-like emotions. Yeah. Just the fact that I love these little pieces of history and learning and going down new wormholes. And I just think the fact that there's the global supply of these things, and you can really see how scarce it is. I'm like, I got one of eight in the whole world of this special player or moment. And you could be very confident that maybe there's two more out there or something, but to have something really scarce and unique know, in the see, world But you so mentioned cool. something, it's basically, it's out there. And so Mike knows it's out there. A lot of people don't know it's out. They don't know that there's this ecosystem, this microcosm of sports or other things where there's passionate collectors that trade and buy and sell cardboard or other manifestations of the player in the sport. They don't know it's there. Mike knows it's there, but he's not becoming a super hardcore collector. You're out there. An important part of it, like you said, is knowing there's others out there, other people, other cards. There's something that I can chase, that I can really dedicate some time to this and enjoy the whole process, start to finish. And there's going to be other people that I'm going to get to know that are like-minded. Maybe your question is, are they collector? Will they keep the cards or will they see Mike Trout holding up a card or whatever, get a urge to go to the card shop, but then not continue with it because they're not. There's a lot of competition for yeah. the attention. That's yeah. the problem with print media is that when you go to the grocery store, usually people are going to the grocery store to get groceries. They used to go to get groceries in a magazine. Yeah, not, <laughs> and not so much anymore. Yeah. No. From Rook, we'll go to Nick's, we'll buy some cards. He's excited, pumped. he gets home, they go on his nightstand, and then they sit there. And then... I'm like, where's your excitement? You were really super excited, but two months later, the cards are still sitting in the same spot. And I'm like, okay, well, what's the purpose here? What are you doing? He doesn't go back and look at him? Or he's on his device looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> Playing Madden or doing mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm. But knowing you through your kids, they love sports. Yeah. It's not that's a consolation prize. I but think that's part of it. Yeah. Mm. If they love sports, they've got a much better chance. So many of the people that are been participating in the explosion of the last few years was because they did love sports and at one time they loved cards or had cards. Yeah. They jumped back in and, hey, it's bigger than it ever was. Yeah. If you were Rip Van Winkle and went to sleep for 20 years and woke up in Chicago in late July of this year and stumbled into the Rosemont, the Stevens Convention Center, you would think, I've died and gone to heaven. <laughs> this, right. is, this is amazing. <laughs> one thing about working at that kid, 
for me, just being all around it, became numb to it all. Because there were so many cool things coming through our office yeah. all the time. It's autographs and signed things, and it was just constantly in front of you. But I just became numb to it. One of the times when we were moving offices, we were cleaning stuff out, and we came to this little corner of a... You open it up, and there's all these signed jerseys, like old... ABA basketball signed by like little Bow Wow. Mm. <laughs> You're like, where did these come from? Like, why did we have these? And what magazine was this in? And why? And it's just sitting over here in this corner. And there was just all these little nooks and crannies around the office that just had this cool stuff all around. It.